We are back again. This is the Council Connection. I am your host, David Vixen. On this very special episode, we are going to delve into the TV show, The Big Bang Theory, and Sheldon Cooper and Raj Kutapali, how their characters fit into the DSM-5. We also want to have Dr. Eva Gibson on uh, from Austin Peay State University, also running for a position on the ASCA Board of Directors. We're also going to have my housekeeper items, and we're going to have my final thought on sports. So this is a jam-packed episode. This is the part of the show I say, Lego. podcast talking about DSM-5. For those that might not be familiar with it, it is a book of um, clinical diagnosis and possible um, signs of what those diagnoses, diagnoses are and that type of stuff. I'm not going to delve into a, a thick book. It's like this big. You, if, you just, if I was doing this on YouTube, you can see how, how wide my hands are. But it's a very effective book because it costs a lot of money to get and I want to get one. Anybody out there that has a DSL file they want to donate to me, please donate to me because I would love to have one. But I want to talk about two characters from one of my favorite shows I watched, um, Big Bang Theory. That show I I watched it to 2019 when it ended its run. Um, why did it end it run? Sheldon, I think Sheldon Cooper ended, eventually became the star of that show, and he was like, I think it's time I didn't want to come back. And he was pretty much the star of the show, so they went ahead and ended the show. I just recently finished watching the show again um, a couple weeks back, and I rewatched it from a from the lens of a counselor. And two of the characters that that stood out to me, of course, is, is Raj Kutapali and um, Sheldon Cooper. We're not going to get into the diversity of the show where their so-called uh, representation was a uh, was a guy who was uh, Indian. As a main character, but he wasn't. His character did not have the equity as everybody else. Um, but we're gonna start with with uh, Raj. Of course, if you, if you watch the show, if you haven't watched the show, this is some spoilers. Uh, Raj is a astrophysicist, if I remember correctly. In the first five seasons, he was a he had selected mutism. Um, mutism, of course, is when you talk but don't talk and selective mutism is when you it's like a phobia of speaking to a specific demographic of course in Roger's case is to the, uh, the opposite gender of female unless he is intoxicated which brings you to possible alcoholism uh, we can talk about uh, Penny Penny Hofstadter of course uh, I'm sure is pretty much an uh, alcoholic but we're not going to talk about that right now but we're just going to talk about Raj um, you can see the signs where anytime he's around any woman, he has to whisper to all 
to Howard. What he wants to say in Howard. Jokingly responds back to him saying, you know, wisecracking or being smart aleck and whatnot. So that's one of the the, the, the the nuances of the show with with uh, Cooper Pollock until uh, I believe the season six premiere where he actually was talking to Penny and then realized he was talking to Penny and he's able to talk to women. Of course, he gets he has a relapse um, a couple seasons later uh, when he's interviewing for a position and he's in an interview is uh, in the in that potential supervisor office and he ends up ends up drinking some sherry to bring back him being able to speak to uh, women but it's neither here or there um Sheldon Cooper probably the, the most fascinating character on the show and probably the most popular one on there as you could anybody could tell that's that's a doctor or a counselor or anything in medical to tell, tell that Sheldon Cooper is has, has a high function of Asperger's uh, syndrome. You can tell by his quirks, his social awkwardness, um, social anxiety, his, his speech, uh, mannerisms, um, his OCD. You can tell that he has that thing specific way. He cannot, he's, he's just, he gotta go by a routine. In his own quirky way, he loved his friends but at the same time in his own little way his friends want to kill him every episode but so those signs that, that we have select mutism because of possible trauma with um, Raj and we have Asperger's where of course Sheldon graduated college at the age of 14 at the age of 15 I believe got his daughter at 20 if I remember correctly do we see those signs in our students that we're seeing on a daily basis what can we do to serve those kids that are on that type of spectrum? Of course, Sheldon's dad died when he was young before he um, I think got his doctorate. Raj's parents live all the way in India. And we also talk about um, how he's you know, always trying to please his family. He's spoiled, he's spoiled pretty much. He had to learn how to be on his own when it's uh, Family, when his dad cut him off with his divorced his mom, his dad just decided, like, it's time for you to um, be on your own. But what, how do, how are we serving our students that that need us and they don't know how to handle those social anxieties or fear of public speaking or just fear of speaking to, to humans or how to properly interact with other people? How to be empathetic, sympathetic, even down to reading sarcasm. How are we serving those students? This is something that we as counselors need to, need to look at as well, not just beyond grades or test scores or be, just beyond bad behavior or just trying what career you want to do. We need to find out what makes the kid take. Once we find out, reach out to them. That will open up a whole different door for us how we understand our kids and help them be successful in all three aspects of their lives. So if you're a counselor out there that's never seen a Big Bang Theory or haven't seen it in a while, this is a show that that runs the gamut on every aspect of the DSM-5 to me. I could get into some other characters, so I could get into bullying, or I could get into depression and social anxiety disorder with um, 
bullying with Bernadette or social anxiety disorder and depression with um, Stuart. Get into an Oedipal complex with, um, with uh, Leonard. You know, get into alcoholism with uh, Penny. We can get into misogynist misogyny with Howard. So many different things we could delve into, but I just want to highlight those two main characters because they were very overt in their personalities throughout the uh, course of that series. Now, we'll be right back with my interview with Dr. Eva Gibson right after this. And welcome to the Council Connection. I am your host, Fabian Vicks, and I have a very special guest on with me today. I have Dr. Eva Gibson, a counselor educator on, also a candidate for the ASCA Board of Directors. How are you doing, Dr. Gibson? I'm doing well. I'm going to get this thing started. Uh, it's, it's real easy. I don't know if you did a podcast. You, you probably done podcasts before I heard them, so it's going to be real easy. It's not going to be like a, a thesis or a dissertation, anything like this. <laughs> real, real easy. I want for the folks that might not know who you are, I want you to give your background into education and your why. Absolutely. So my background was, I guess I'll tell you about some of my professional background. Um, I uh, have a bachelor's in psychology, master's in school counseling, and my doctorate is in counselor education and supervision. Um, so throughout that process, I've been working that whole entire time. Um, and my work has always been in the field of psychology. So I've worked in two residential facilities, one for adolescent girls in state's custody, another one for adults with mental health illnesses. Um, so I actually had the opportunity to do that in undergraduate. So that was um, very helpful for me as I was preparing to um, transition into graduate school. Um, in graduate school, I had two jobs. One was I worked for the Department of Children's Services. I was a foster care case manager. Um, so my job was to make sure that the children um, were getting all of their needs met in the foster home and also to work with the parents, the biological parents, to make sure that they were doing what they needed to do to be able to reunite with their children. Um, and then I also uh, worked in the as a GA in the Office of Disability Services on campus. Um, so that were, that experience was helpful to me as I transitioned to a school counselor, and of course had to um, assist students who had um, special needs. Um, when I started becoming a school counselor, I was a school counselor for 11 years, um, enjoyed my time, did three years at the elementary level, eight years at the middle school level, um, loved it, loved middle school, um, that, that's my jam. Um, also during that time, because my, my work life and my, my educational life um, has been congruent throughout this time. So I was also working on my doctorate, finished my doctorate, and became an adjunct instructor for the local college. I, um, did some adjunct work for Austin P State University, um, which is the school that I graduated from. And I also did some um, adjunct work for Capella University, which is an online university. Um, then I transitioned into a full-time counselor educator. I worked at TSU, a historically black college uh, for two years. And then I transitioned to Austin P, my, um, my home. Um, and I have just completed my second year there. So in all, I have four years in higher eds. In terms of leadership, I was the Tennessee School Counseling President from uh, 2014 to 2015. Um, the, and at that time, 
our school counseling division was under our state division. So um, then I transitioned to our uh, Tennessee Counseling Association secretary, then I moved to archives chair, and then they talked me into being president. Um, so it's a lot of bullying going on, <laughs> <laughs> pushing me into positions, but they've been great experiences. Um, and then our school counseling division um, and our, uh, they split from our, our main division. Um, but the main division still wanted a school counseling division. So once again, I became president of the school counseling division. Um, I am a mentor for the American Counseling Association. I'm a journal reviewer for um, the Professional School Counseling Journal, which is um, ASCA's um, professional journal. I have uh, planned conferences for our state division. I have done conference reviews for some national conferences. Um, I'm a consultant now that I'm in higher ed. I work with some of the local schools here. I'm a lifelong scholar, um, so I, I do a lot of presentations, I do a lot of publications, I do grants. You had asked me about my why. Yeah, so yeah. I would say that the role of the counselor has evolved over time. My sole K-12 through counselor memories consist of applications, scheduling, and transcripts requests. That's what I saw my school counselors doing, and that's the only thing I saw my school counselors doing when I was growing up. As a matter of fact, a better word for them would have been guidance counselors versus school counselors. Um, for me personally, I always knew that I wanted to work with children, but I wasn't sure in what capacity until one of my undergrad professors encouraged me to pursue school counseling. Um, when I became a school counselor, um, it, as due, due to my school, and I realized that school counseling is, is so much bigger um, than what I saw growing up. So I immerse my students, I immerse myself in supporting my students holistically. I'm a strong believer in a comprehensive school counseling program and the importance of advocacy. Um, that means that I had to initiate some difficult conversations at times with peers and colleagues. Um, they were uncomfortable, but necessary. Although I have transitioned out of that role, my identity as a school counseling advocate is still intact and I am vocal about systemic changes that need to occur that best meets the needs of students. Um, it's evident in my role as a school counselor educator um, and given the opportunity to serve on the ASCA board of directors, I will continue to advocate for needed changes. You seem like you've done everything except clean out the classrooms after you finish and mop the floors and you have a, a wealth of knowledge and experiences um just from from being a counselor to a counselor educator to defects and that's that's the the holistic counselor that's a a gamut that you that you've had experience in so you can see the the, the whole child in different areas especially social emotional with uh working in the home for um working on the center for girls and everything so that's 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 Quite fascinating that um, for the experience that you had. Thank you. I mean, I really think that they um, they made me a better counselor, and they and those experiences make me a better counselor educator. Cool. Now, as a, I'm glad you transitioned. That's a great segue to uh, your counselor educator. You said you were at Austin Peay State University. That's in Tennessee, correct? Correct. Great. Okay. Cool. Uh, what is what do you see your role as a counselor educator preparing our future um, professional school counselor um, in your role right now? 
Oh, wow. I love my job. I mean, I enjoyed being a school counselor. I really did. I loved working with um, my students, especially my middle school students, because they're just at that weird age, but I love that age. Um, but I believe that I'm making a greater impact being a counselor educator because I'm training those professionals um, as they are getting ready to enter the field. So our particular program at Austin P is a dual track program. So we have one uh, master's in school counseling program and students can choose to either go the school counseling pathway or they could choose to go the clinical mental health pathway. So I teach all of the school counseling classes. We have a foundations class. We have, um, of course, our field work classes, so practicum and internship. We have a school culture class that I actually just created. Um, and I, uh, I created it from scratch. We, um, we wrote it out last year, went really well. So I'm really excited about that class. And we also have a comprehensive school counseling development class. So our students really know um, how to develop a comprehensive school counseling program. Um, so those are all of the school counseling classes I teach, but then I also teach some common classes. I teach um, counseling skills for all of our students. I teach lifespan development. I teach counseling military families because we are in a military um, community, a military town. Um, as a matter of fact, my husband is military. Um, the school that I work for in middle school, we were 50% military. So we really wanna um, make sure that our counseling students are prepared to work with military families because there's some just some unique issues that impact those families. Um, so those are the classes that I teach. I'm also the school counseling clinical coordinator. So I um, work with the school system and do placements for our practicum and internship school counseling students. And of course, um, check on them and do evaluations and, and do um, site visits. Um, I am also the bridge between um, the university and the school system um, in terms of like the counseling field. So we do shared events um, every year. I do trainings for the school system, the counselors within the school system. I um, am a, I really like to support students who are interested in research um, presentations and pursuing a doctorate degree. And that's really important to me because I didn't have that support um, in my master's program when I wanted to look into going to the doctorate level. Like I, I had a great program, but it was, they were really just kind of training you to be a practitioner um, and that was it. It wasn't any next step or any additional options. So I really like to support students who are interested in those other things. Um, I think I mentioned before that I do school system trainings um, and I also serve as a uh, school counseling program consultant with some of the local schools here. If they're um, kind of struggling. Maybe they have some new ex inexperienced counselors on board. Um, so I work with them and just try to help them build their program. And I even have done some interventions together. I work with one middle school counselor and we did a, um, a group together for African-American um, boys. Um, and I pulled in some um, uh, mentors within the community. We had a great time with that, with that particular intervention. And I was was even able to get a grant from the American Counseling Association. So we had some monies and some funding behind that as well. Oh, quick, quick follow up for actually the next question. What, for us being an educator, what is probably the most needed course? I know data and social emotional and the strategies and the uh, counseling theories and all that. What do you think is the most important or pertinent course that a school counselor cannot go for without, go for being a counselor without having? 
Um, I like, so I have a two-part answer to your question. Um, one, I really like the, the course that I developed, which is the school culture course. Um, and I developed that course because our students were um, previously taking, they were taking two courses in the education department. And it was about like classroom management and developing lessons, um, which, you know, sometimes, especially at the elementary level, our school counselors are doing, but those, those courses were really geared toward teachers. And so a lot of our students didn't really feel like their needs were, their needs were being met. So this course that I developed really looked at school culture from a school counseling perspective, um, and they still do develop um, lesson plans, but that are that are specific to school counseling. Like let's use the school counseling standards. Let's use Ask Us template for doing this. We actually I actually partnered with. Um, we have a learning center here that uh, works with K. Um, pre-K students. So they did lessons um, for those students and they also did parent workshops for those students. So um, I, I'm, a little, I'm a little biased, um, <laughs> but I think that that course um, is really uh, helping our students as they're preparing to transition. Um, and to the second part, uh, my second response is, I am a big advocate of um, cultural, uh, culturally affirming practices. Um, but that being said, um, we do have a diversity course, but I, it's my belief and also the belief of my colleagues within the program that it's not just a one course. We really infuse it throughout the course. It is important to have a diversity course, but in every single course, we need to be talking about culture. We need to be talking about diversity. We need to be talking about advocacy, and we need to be talking about having real conversations and looking at the data and looking at the disparities and talking about what are we going to do to impact these disparities. Another great segue to my next question about data. And I, as from what you just said about that, it's very important. I love data. Um, it's part of our, it's, it's not going anywhere because that's the only way we could be effective mm -hmm. as counselors. How do you see it being important and what tips could you instill on folks that might be listening to the podcast on that might be their first year or about to go into their first year of counseling? How, did, would, they, how would you use the data to help affirm that uh, comprehensive program? Um, in order to best meet the needs of students, and it sounds like you're, you are definitely on board with this, school counselors must analyze school-wide data and evaluate their own program and services. Um, it's also important to note that as school counselors develop plans for culturally affirming programs, they must utilize the social justice lens when considering data, annual student outcome goals, and the school, the school data summary, action plans, program results data, and the, even the annual administrative conference. So when you sit down with your principal every year, let's, let's look at the data. I encourage counselors to consider these questions. What gaps are evident between groups as we review achievement, attendance, and discipline data? Are we discussing culturally relevant factors as we create student outcome goals? Do our goals serve to reduce barriers? Are we integrating culturally relevant perception data in our planning process? Do we utilize our annual administrative conference as an opportunity to advocate? Um, so if counselors explore these questions when they're looking at data, um, they'll have a solid foundation as they continue to build the program that focuses on social justice and advocacy. And I also really encourage my students that Sometimes if you don't know how to get the data, because we talk about data in our program, but it's also important to partner with other people in your building. So think about the people in your building who you could work with. I know every year 
my um, my assistant principal had access to some data that I didn't, the discipline data, like the very specific ones. So at the end of every year, I would reach out to him and he would send me that data. And that would help me as I was developing my goals and my interventions for next year. Our um, academic coach, that's what we call it in our school system. It might be called something different in other school systems, but they have access to a lot of data. So working with that person to ask them for data so you can review that data as well. So I just encourage my students and any counselors, don't think that you have to um, be the know-all and end-all, but maybe make sure that you're utilizing the resources and the people in your building. I know another follow-up. Uh, I know advisory councils is a part of, part of I know that's not one of the questions we talked about, but it's just a, it's, it's a tie-in. As far as, I know we talk about advisory council with stakeholders, as far as board members, um, admin, teachers, students, uh, parents, community members, that type of stuff. I would think it would be pertinent to possibly have like an in-house advisory council with your IPAL or academic coach, graduation coach, uh, of course, an admin, uh, whoever's over, if you have a designated position for for admin, like ones over testing, ones over teaching, learn ones over safety or operations or whatnot. How would you form a uh, in-house advisory team? What would your in-house advisory team consist of in your ability if you um, had to create one for you back in the building as a counselor? I would love to have, um, I guess you could approach these different ways because one of the things that in, in my district we did was like data chats and um, the academic coach and the, uh, the principals would be in on it and their teachers would be on it and they would look at academic data. Um, but then when I when I when I left, they actually I mean, the school system has made some great changes, still have a long way to go, but has made some great changes. But they also started doing some um, school wide universal screeners that was looking specifically at behavioral data. And then they would have data chats about the behavior data. And um, I was working with one particular school as a consultant, and I was like, this is amazing. This is what the, the school counselor needs to be leading this charge because it was teachers in there. And of course, the, the principals um, and the academic coach, um, but looking at the behavioral data, talking about interventions, you know, our students receiving services, because, you know, sometimes and the screeners that they use are, are screeners that um, teachers took and also screeners that students took too, because sometimes we see some very overt behaviors, but we don't see all sometimes those internalizing behaviors or internalizing thoughts um, that are going on. So I, I really like the idea of um, at least looking at behavioral data from that standpoint in terms of an actual advisory committee. I had a great relationship with my um, student resource officer, the SRO in our building. Um, it was important for me to have a good relationship with him and have an understanding and communicate. And so, you know, when to help prevent problems coming up because, you know, it is, you know, maybe somewhat controversial to have officers within the schools, but so we had an understanding of, you know, how can, how can we work together to best support student needs. Um, so I would love to have the SRO on the team, the school nurse, um, because the school nurse and I, we had a great relationship and she would bring me students and I would bring her students, like if a student kept coming to her because they had a stomach ache um, and she like, mm, I think this, this might be anxiety. Let me take you over to the school counselor. Um, but having the school nurse on the advisory council um, and, and having some teachers um, and some parents, I think that would be really helpful too. Um, and of course, even having a student voice because so many times we talk about students, but are we are we listening to students? Okay. 
two more questions. We're gonna get out of here on this thing. Uh, you're running for Ask a Board. Uh, I think that's. I think the voting ends on July one or July. I can't remember the end date for the voting. You, you know when the end it's date some, is? It's sometime in July. Sometime. Okay. What is your intended platform if you are elected to the board? Um, it is my belief that meaning for growth is a collaborative and an ongoing process. So ASCA has contributed to my professional development since 2006, one of my um, graduate professors said join and I said, okay, um, and I've been a member ever since then. And I hope to reciprocate in a constructive manner. I envision an organization that continues to grow in terms of diversity, outreach and leadership. My wish is that school counselors feel empowered and instill this feeling in students. And I want school counselors to feel heard and to listen to the voice of others. I'm committed to growth and I believe our organization is as well. Over the years, I've watched ASCA evolve to meet the needs of counselors and students, and I would like to take a more active role in this process. If selected, I commit to bring my lived experiences of my intersecting professional and personal identities, my knowledge gained through my research, scholarship endeavors and trainings, and my insight obtained through previous leadership position. While ASCA stands as a strong organization, I hope that the addition of my diverse contributions may serve to further strengthen ASCA's vision and voice. Um, and this is just a, a side note, but just, again, I, I'm, I really enjoy collaboration. Um, and I really, really uh, believe that we need to really immerse culture and really thinking about um, culturally sustaining practices, culturally affirming practices. Um, and so I, I want us to, to be more open to that and, and, and do that together. I'm currently working on a book project. I have um, two of my other, what I call my sister scholars, and it is on um, school counseling um, and, and culturally affirming practices. And so we're looking for chapter um, contributors. So if anyone wants to submit a chapter proposal, we would, we would, love, to, uh, we would love to see that and, and work with that individual. Okay, last question. You have a you have uh, Harry Potter's wand right here, and you're over you're you're the school counselor at Hogwarts. Um, you wave the wand, one thing changes right there when you wave it. What's that one thing? Okay, follow up question to your question, in regards to <laughs> counselors in general or ASCA. I will say counselors. I'm not going to okay. say I'm not going to put you on the spot with ASCA because I I'm. I'm going to leave it at that right now because I don't want to put you in a bad spot when I think about asking, but uh, we'll just say counselors right now. We'll say counselors. Okay. Um, develop a strong professional identity um, because I think if you have a strong professional identity, then that really impacts, enhances the services that you offer to students. Um, and over the years, over my time in the school system, I see some, some school counselors that are very student focused. Um, and I've seen some who are burned out and some who seem like they're still finding the profession that best fits them. Um, but I believe that if you have a strong professional identity, then your students are going to benefit from that. Um, and to me, it's all about the students. And I think that um, developing that identity uh, hopefully starts in graduate school, but we have to maintain that throughout. So being involved in professional um, associations is really important to me. And I could go on and on about that, but I'm gonna stop right there. Yeah, that's the, to me, that's the most important thing, getting involved in your state associations. Because um, I didn't realize that somebody recommended me to, to be the Beacon Editor. I didn't know what the Beacon Editor was, so I had to learn on the fly how to organize a magazine. And I didn't realize 
us, us people as counselors, <laughs> do not like turning stuff in on time, and I'm not gonna put my right on the on the on the spot. But it was it was hard for two years getting folks turning stuff in on time, and I'm glad I'm not speaking editor anymore for two years. <laughs> but it was a good good experience though. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so now they got me doing uh, i'm going to be doing on uh, podcasting for two years so that's something that's going to be real easy to do because i already know how to do it and i don't know what they want me to do but that's neither here or there uh dr gibson i appreciate your time and uh, your knowledge and your expertise on this podcast it is greatly appreciated that you took the time out on a friday morning to record this i appreciate you absolutely i appreciate the opportunity no problem we'll be right back with more council connection right after this this is the part of the show where we do our housekeeping items and give you some updates for the upcoming episodes of course you can find my podcast on spotify radio public pocket cast overcast google podcast breaker of course anchor and apple podcast apple if you're listening I would love to have you on as a sponsor, you know, you know, a MacBook Pro, new, new, thin new Mac, uh, iMac, no, iPad, AirPods, AirPod Pro, you know, if you want to donate some equipment to the show, you know, we are the number two rated podcast on school counseling in America. So, you know, hook me up. Now, after that shameless plug, of course, you can follow me on the Twitter at Faye the PSC. Uh, com. That's our webpage. It needs to be updated. I haven't had time to update it, but we can go on there for some resources. You can follow me on Facebook at Council Connection with Faye Vix on Facebook as well. Uh, we will be in be at ASCA in July. Uh, if you'd like to come by the scooter booth and, you know, chat it up and get a spot on the show, we talk about what you expect to learn from ASCA. We'll be more than happy to oblige and record you, and we can put you on the next episode of the show. Um, until then, uh, I can't wait to go to Aspen. It's going to be in person. Um, things great. going to be great. It's going to be virtual and in person. So for those that are still hesitant about moving around the world or can't don't have have a way to don't have the time to go to Aspen in Vegas this year, um, it will be virtual as well. So that's going to be a great resource. Um, what I also want to talk about my future venture um, with GSCA before we get to my final thoughts. Uh, for the next two years, I'm on the leadership team again. Uh, as you probably remember, we listed to the show, I was the Beacon Editor from 2019 to 2021. And going forward for the next two years, I will be doing podcasting for professional development with GSCA. So that's going to be a great, a great uh, opportunity for something that I'm already doing to also feed, you know, to collaborate with uh, John Wasu, I believe. I remember correctly. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But um, we're going to be putting together professional developments uh, series in the form of podcasts for the next two years for new counselors, old counselors, and try to use those those resources for our counselors in the state of Georgia. And that's something I'm pretty excited about. And I can't wait to get started on it. But it's not going to neglect from this podcast because um, we're going to probably use some ideas from here as well, too. So I can't wait to get started on that project. Um, if we don't have any new episodes until August, um, it's, it's called self-care. I'm going to be, um, to give you a heads up, you don't have anything from me after this this episode. It's going to be, I'm taking a small little break 
from this show until August when school starts, when everything starts hitting. Because if everything hits different in August versus July. So we'll see. Might, I might put together some best of episodes to, um, in while we're gone on a smaller hiatus. But also one final thing before we go, I want to thank you all for listening to this podcast because it, it is rated the number two podcast on school counseling. So I want to thank those that are listening and getting the word out and the guests that we had on here from the two school counselors to Reggie Williams to um, Laura Roth, Brian Coleman, Steve Sharp, uh, Caroline Perry, um, and a plethora of other names. I'm I know I'm forgetting. Um, I just want to thank, thank the guests that's been on the show. Uh, thank the listeners and the counselors that taking the time out to, to, to listen to this this little old show. I want to thank you for listening to it. And I'll be right back with my final thought on sports right after this. Babe's final thought. So this is a school council podcast, but yeah, I'm talking about sports. So what in the world are we talking about? So that's a good question. Some of you know from last year when the pandemic hit, we had a couple of my friends on. We um, sparked a different podcast for um, a sports podcast from this show. Um, to kill to create some space for this for all for this podcast and you thinking sports and school counseling well we as school counselor we talk about being um, data driven um, the whole child and, and college career readiness and diversity and social justice all that type of stuff so I want to delve into the diversity part of what school council do how does that affect sports as you know um, football and basketball percentage wise have 70% African American athletes on their teams as far as the coaching ranks you're looking at less than uh, to be fair less than 10% of the coaches are African American in football and basketball um some people say, well, there's, there's a lot of uh, blacks playing baseball. Not necessarily. Um, when you look at it, their, their place of origin is either uh, possibly Dominican Republic. You have Asian players. You have uh, Puerto Rican, Cuban, um, Brazilian, uh, Latin American. It'll just, it'll just cover the whole area. Um, blacks are not playing as many sports. It's not playing baseball like they used to in the 90s and 90s into the 2000s. I know I was going to start off with football, basketball, but I really want to start with baseball. There's no diversity in baseball. There's there's some some African American players, but not a lot. That of course is uh, money is a is an issue. Where football, basketball, you just need a basketball, and you can go out there and play. Football, you take a football, go out there and play. In baseball, in hockey, golf. Um, those type of sports, tennis. Tennis is another single sport. You just get a racket and a ball, but you got a tennis court because those might be um, a little bit more difficult. Unless you go to like a school that's a lot has the games a lot. You better play, or you have a membership at a, at a tennis club, which can't get into get to be pricey. But when you look at baseball, America's pastime before before football just blew up with television and uh, 
teeth rights and free agency back in 1993. Baseball was that that game where, as a kid, you just it's like a nostalgia for love at first sight. Uh, one of my favorite players, Tony Gwynn, uh, Barry Bonds before he um, supposedly, you know, took steroids, which he did because you can tell by the shape of his head it grew. But Andrew Jones for the Braves. I'm not a Braves fan, but um, Andrew Jones, I love the way he played. Love the um, just the feel for it, for the game he had. Uh, Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams. Uh, those players I just named are are African American players. Uh, you can look at Tory Hunter as well too. Um, where is the next great black baseball player? African American baseball player back in the 90s and 2000s um, some of y'all might remember this there was something called the RBI program the RBI program was was a uh, program that's based in inner cities that gave kids opportunity to play baseball where um, Major League Baseball would donate uh, gloves, bats cleats um, remodel or renovate uh, old fields to or to a baseball diamond where kids can play baseball and, and spark that love for baseball. But yet now we're in 2021 there the RBI program has basically disintegrated over the last 20 years. Baseball scouts are going to the Dominican Republic, the Cuba to and Latin America to cover that might have having long also to Japan and China and Korea to recruit, but they basically just disown African Americans in our own country as far as, as far as their, their ability and the opportunity to play baseball. As I previously stated, baseball is can be is a more expensive sport when you think about time in a batting cage, cleats, gloves. Not just batting gloves, baseball gloves, bats, uh, uniforms, travel, opportunity. Whereas, like I said, football and basketball, you go to a field, get a football, you do it. Basketball, go to a court, get a basketball. Which goes back to something we talked about on a previous podcast with Steve and Caroline, we talked about zip code economics and zip code racism where I'm a kid that stays in 312.11 we'll say that, that we'll just say I'm a kid that stays in um, 312.11 on that's East Macon or whatever and I have a single mom it's working two, three jobs, can't afford me to play baseball, but I'm, I'm a kid, but another kid in 312.10 or 312.01 has has a uh, possible still single mother or two parent household, but yet he's able to play just about every sport. So we got to look at the the availability and opportunity for not just baseball. I'm not single out baseball, but when you think look at it, baseball is being singled out by me because that's a pastime that included players like Satchel Paige and. Bob Gibson, Dave Winfield, Reggie Jackson, Jim Rice, Andre Dawson, Eddie Murray. These these guys were African-American baseball players, prevalent African-American baseball players 
they had an opportunity and the availability to play whereas kids now don't really get opportunity to play because because of resources and funding for it so so major league baseball you need to rekindle that 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 fire with the rbi program and get, get kids that love baseball opportunity to play that's the one diversity that shouldn't has a travesty that we lost in baseball now i want to get to football and basketball the opportunities are there as players but as an owner or a coach the opportunity is not there when you look at the indiana pacers the indiana pacers had nate mcmillan for a couple years got him to the playoffs fired him last year hired a guy named nate yorkman and fired him after one year saying he wasn't successful enough well duh the coach you just fired is about to have his team nate mcmillan and on coach for the hawks to the eastern conference finals if they don't choke the game away tonight i'm recording this on a friday so the hawks play tonight against 76ers and he's the interim coach when they um who replaced Lloyd Pierce in the middle of the season when they got rid of him. And Nate McMillan has got this team once, at least one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals, somewhere the Hawks haven't been in 60 years. So we're saying, of course there's no opportunity because say he's not doing what we need him to do or he's not analytical. Well, there's analytical. I love numbers of anybody else. I love data. But at the same time, I know when you're coaching, your gut feeling would overtake a, a a data train from Luka Doncic shooting from the left side versus the right side. Nate McMillan is flat out coaching his butt off right now for the Hawks, and he is a black coach. Ty Lue, Doc Rivers. If you can think of another black coach that's out there right now, I'm uh, Stephen Silas. He's getting a raw deal in Houston. But there's 30, there are 30 teams in the NBA, and maybe less than 33% of the coaches are African American in the sport. They have 70% of the players African American. Black owners is only one, Michael Jordan. Football, there's, there's four minority coaches. Two of them are, one's Hispanic, one's Israeli. So, what does that tell you right there? two black coaches no but African American owners they're about the four African American GMs one president of football operations black at the Washington, the Washington Redskins we have opportunity to be players but when's the diversity going to be for us to be in ownership stakes or the GM realm to make those decisions in the words of Bruno Mars, when we're gonna leave the door open for something like that to happen for us. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I want to thank Dr. Gibson for popping on, and I'm out. Second nature, gotta stay pulled up like it's second nature. Keep it
keep in my head like you're second in y'all. Big Wonder make me sad like second in.